man who lost everything. He even lost his health. He lost his kids. This is a terrible plight. Nevertheless, this is happening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Embry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are exploring the book of Job today. As we enter it, it's very interesting. Now, Corey and Ryan are here to help us. Corey. Today, I'm going to be taking a look at ancient farming and innovations in that field uh, due to what's mentioned in Job today. Ryan. How old is the book of Job? Well, that's the question that I'm going to attempt to answer today on the program. All right, that's very good. Excellent. Janice? Today, my segment is called Watcher of Men. All right, let's get the Bible guide out. If you don't have one, remember you can call or write to us and we'll send you one. Very, very important. And as we go forward, let's listen to what the Lord is saying. The most important book of all is the Bible. And that's the book we listen to. So open it up and let's look at the book of Job. Job 7, verses 1 through 11. Is there not a time of hard service for a man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires the shade, and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages, so I have been allotted months of futility, and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise and the night be ended? For I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never see again good. The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him any more. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Job chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. Job chapter 4 to 7 is our read today, chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7. And I like to call the friends of Job, the so-called friends of Job, for the way they allowed their opinions and their disagreements to torment him when he's so vulnerable. Now, these arguments are presented for us in a public hearing on why all of this evil has come upon Job. Now, remember, Job himself has already put himself in a position of acceptance under God of what has happened. We see this revealed early in the book when Job says to his wife, Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not also accept adversity? Job chapter 2, verse 10. But Eliphaz, a Temanite, is one of the named friends of Job. And while the friends start out well, when they first came to Job, you see, they mourned with him for seven days. Eliphaz is the first to break the silence by bringing his opinion forward. He asked Job, 
If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? Job chapter four, verse two. And our study today looks at the ongoing response of Job to Eliphaz. It is fascinating. And this is uh, a book that I recommend every philosophy class uh, should read through and understand because it really talks about what God is doing and how God has positioned himself so that we can hear him. And that's very, very important. So as we look at the response to Eliphaz, Job's response, let's figure this out. Get your Bible guide out and turn to it. And if you don't have one, call us or write us, or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go there and click on the page, it takes you to a donate page. Thank you so much for your donations. I very much appreciate them. And we appreciate them here keeping this program going. But it's important to understand that you can download it as it's printed. So you're seeing it just as we see it even now. Now, with that in mind, we're talking about Job's response to Eliphaz. Let's pray. Father, help us today to understand Job's response and understand Eliphaz and what he said. And I pray, Lord, that we would study this and we would think about it. Because oftentimes, Lord, we make the same mistake when we talk to our friends and we judge them. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, may we hear from your word into our hearts. Amen and amen. Now, the first part of this is Job chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Is there not a time of hard service for man on the earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man? Like a servant who earnestly desires the shade, like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages. So I have been allotted months of fertility and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and when the night is ended? For I have had my fill of the tossing till dawn. Now, this is absolutely fascinating. Look at this because we need to pay attention to it. Life is difficult on earth. Beloved, life is difficult on earth. We look forward to the good things in life, but sometimes it's good old-fashioned hard work because we live in the reality of sin. We have sinned at the beginning of time, and we have come to Jesus Christ, and that's why I tell you, if you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord, you can be freed from the bondage of sin. We come to Jesus Christ and allow him to help us. And we ask forgiveness of our sin and he forgives us. And so, beloved, we have to understand that we are not on a pleasure cruise, but we are on a battleship. And the flesh or the battle uh, in the spirit or is in the spirit. It's not in the flesh and blood. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, according to, of course, Paul, when he speaks to the church at Ephesus in chapter 6, but against principalities and spirits of the spiritual evil. So let's keep that in mind. That's important. Now let's go back to Job chapter 7, verse 5. Watch this, because this is interesting. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. Have you ever felt like that? Well, in life, there are difficult times of pain, times of physical trauma, times of physical pain. But God has promised to help us if we trust him. 
if we trust him, do you take out a dollar and look on your American dollar if you're in the United States of America and it says on that dollar, in God, we trust. In God, we trust. What does that mean? Well, that means that when you come to Christ, everything is not hunky-dory and you don't have a great time all the time, but you have a strength to help you get through life and to do things so that the Lord makes you victorious. You are winning the battle. And beloved, we need to win the battle. We need to understand what that means. And so, Father, help us today to win the battle. Now, go back to Job chapter 6 through 11 or 7 verses 6 through 11. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they're spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit, and I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Words of Job, that's very interesting. Beloved, out of his hurt, out of his suffering, Job pours out his complaint to God. Now, listen, we should build, should not build our life on complaining, but we need to build our God on praising him. You say, Rod, well, how can you praise God? Well, I can tell you that if you understand what he said, you understand that in the chapter 19 of this particular book, he says, I know that I shall see my redeemer in the flesh. So Job explains to us that even though it hurts, even though it's difficult, even though it's hard, I will see my Redeemer in the flesh. Now that told us that the Redeemer was coming, the Messiah. That Messiah is Jesus Christ. And when we see Jesus Christ, we have a promise which says that when we perish, when our bodies perish and it looks like it's all over with us, because Jesus rose from the dead, we have Jesus in our heart, we have life. So we do come out of our death into life. Death is no more than a passageway. And suddenly when we cannot see Jesus in our spirit, all of a sudden we can see Jesus fully. And it's very, very interesting. Now, everything we do in this life affects how we go forward in the next. And so we pray and say, Lord, help me to do things the way you want me to do them. And that's the idea of being a Christ follower. Because a Christ follower is not just about me, but it's about me understanding that God desires as many people as possible to follow him. So we explain our testimony. And that's the first episode that we see in this book called Job. There will be more to come the next few days. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to.
As we continue on in our study of the Bible, today we land in Job chapters 4 to 7, and I wanted to try and answer a question that everybody wonders about this particular book of the Bible, and that is, how old is it? When did these events actually occur? Well, the answer isn't so easy. Check it out. The Bible is composed of 66 books written by some 40 authors over a span of several thousand years. Of these, Job is believed to be the oldest, except perhaps for the early chapters of Genesis. In fact, traditional scholarship has dated the book to the time of the patriarchs, as early as 2000 BC. This early date is deduced based upon several factors and clues within the text. First of all, the whole atmosphere and setting of the book is very patriarchal. This is evident based on Job's lifestyle as well as his longevity. For example, he probably lived at least 200 years, which is longer even than Abraham. Additionally, he personally made sacrificial offerings unto the Lord for himself and his family, acting as the priestly mediator. This seems to suggest that Job lived in the patriarchal system of the age before Moses. In fact, neither Moses nor the Mosaic Law, nor Israel for that matter, is ever mentioned in the book of Job. It seems very early in history indeed. Actually, in a postscript, the Septuagint, following ancient tradition, identifies Job with Jobab, the second king of Edom. Names and places in the book seem to give a setting among the descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother. In fact, one of the sons of Esau was Eliphaz, and Eliphaz's firstborn son was Teman. Thus, it's possible that Job's friend, Eliphaz the Temanite, was actually the son of Esau. Another interesting clue is found in the fascinating reference made by Job in chapter 28 verses 1 through 11 to the copper industry in Timnah. Significantly, archaeological research seems to indicate that the earliest evidence of mining and smelting in Timnah is from the middle of the 3rd millennium BC until the late 2nd millennium BC, roughly 2500 to 1100 BC. Thus, the traditional view that the events of Job took place very early on in history is very possible. Of course, this view isn't without certain challenges. In fact, some evidence seems to suggest a much later date for the book, even as late as post-exile. For one thing, the earliest reference to Job outside of the book itself is in Ezekiel. But more problematic than that is some of the language Job chooses to employ. For example, the book uses a lot of vocabulary with meanings known in later Hebrew. Also, the text seems to include language reminiscent of the Persian era. In fact, Job includes many Hebrew expressions that reflect the influence of Aramaic, which was the common language of the Persian Empire. Perhaps most challenging of all is the fact that the book makes direct allusions to the Hebrew scriptures, and at times quotes lines directly, particularly in regards to the wisdom literature. Despite these issues, however, the majority of biblical scholars still agree that Job is a very ancient book indeed. Now, something very important to keep in mind when trying to establish a date for Job is that we need to separate the time of the events of Job from when the book was actually composed. Clearly, the events of Job fits in with the patriarchal period, but the composition of the book may have been sometime later. We just don't know. You know, it's very interesting because uh, Job is, uh, is set up so that he doesn't use money. He uses uh, wealth and he uses sacrifices that are equivalent to when the patriarchs were in. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a very interesting 
situation when you look at it because he sacrifices for his kids and all of that and then he loses everything it's yeah. amazing yeah for sure definitely a very ancient setting it, it is and uh it's absolutely fascinating and uh, you know i i have my own feelings about it but i'll leave that for another day uh, corey all right well i'm going to be talking about ancient farming and some of the technology that went along with that uh, because now that we are in the poetic uh, writings of the bible so as we go through job and psalms and proverbs and ecclesiastes you're going to notice if you're looking for it how many allusions there are to farming and uh, crops and reaping and sowing and winnowing and and all of that good ancient tech that kept people alive and still keeps us alive today. So today we're going to be focusing in on that. And there's a lot more to really delve into when it comes to this area in scripture. So we're going to start here and then on subsequent shows, we're going to continue digging deeper. So let's start here with some ancient farming tech. Due to its integral value in ancient society, quite a bit is known about the ancient methods of farming. In biblical Israel, the act of sowing fields with seed occupied four months of the year, and it began immediately following the first rain of the season. The timing of this rain was considered essential to the livelihood of the people, which is reflected in the fact that God includes a reliable first rain in his list of how he will bless an obedient Israel, but an unreliable first rain in the case of their disobedience. This first rain served to soften the ground so that it could be plowed for sowing. If the rain was early, farmers risked their seeds drying out and dying before more regular rain would fall. If the first rain was too late into the season, the crops risked not having enough time to take root before the full heat of the summer, which could mean scorching and crop loss. In Israel, plowing seems to have been done exclusively for the purpose of sowing seed. The fields would be plowed, seed would be scattered over the field, and then the field would be plowed again in the opposite direction to cover the seed. An alternate method to replowing the field was to allow cattle or herd animals to walk on the field. Ancient plows were not much different from modern wooden plows. Their tips for digging into the earth were made of metal, generally bronze or iron, while the rest of the plow was wooden. There was a handle or two for the farmer to raise or lower the point into the ground, and the plow was attached to either a single animal or a team of animals via a wooden yoke on the animal's shoulders. Oxen were the most common animals used for plowing, but donkeys and young cows are also known to have been used. To help direct the animals, a goad would be used. A goad was a wooden stick with a sharp metal point to direct the animals with on one end, and the other end could have a small metal shovel on it to loosen mud that would get stuck on the plow tip. In hilly or mountainous areas where plows could not be used, farmers would have to plow by hand using hoes. Experiencing the hard labor of double plowing, some ancient farmers developed an innovative plow that reduced their time investment in the field. It was called the seed drill. The seed drill was made from wood and leather and was attached to the plow. It was essentially a funnel with an attached pipe leading down to just behind the plow tip. 
Seeds would be dropped into the funnel, would travel down the pipe to the ground behind the plow tip where they would be covered by the falling soil created by the plow. This meant that the farmer needed to plow only once and their seed would all be covered immediately and be safe from hungry birds. While it's possible that one farmer with well-trained plow animals could operate a seed drill by themselves, from existing artistic representation, it seems that this was often done with two or three people. So there we go. I think it's always interesting to uh, really focus in and look at specific elements of ancient life. Uh, and what this really allows us to do is appreciate how these ancient people lived, but then also appreciate then why these themes are present in scripture, because these were these were issues and, and ideas that were very pertinent to the people of ancient Israel. I mean, they needed successful farming technology. Uh, they needed to be able to grow their food. Uh, you know, there weren't mass import and exports of food uh, from other countries for the everyday man and woman and child. So what you grew, you ate. And if you couldn't grow it, you didn't eat and you would die. So we see uh, big themes in Job, life and death themes, which makes sense uh, when you consider what Job is going through. One of the things that's interesting about this is that the farming techniques um, they did not have the modern machinery we have mm -hmm. now. And there's farms down the road. And so we drive down the road and just take a walk with the dog or whatever. And we see farms, and we see these machines and all yeah. this. But I often think of what, what was it like, mm -hmm. you know, a thousand years ago or 2000 years ago, these machines didn't really come to fruition except in the last 100 years. Yeah, and, and, and that's for a lot of reasons. I mean, uh, I mean, today we're incorporating a lot of elements of mechanization and, and productivity and industrialization in order to, to get those sorts of things. Uh, but when you look back at ancient farming, it's no less, uh, there's no less ingenuity when it comes to it, but they're dealing with different materials and a different environment than say we have here in Canada in the 21st century. So they're using, they're doing the best with with what they have to work with, with their environment, with their uh, seasons. So it's always a really interesting thing to be able to go back and, and focus in on something like this to see how they managed. And over the next couple of days, as you talk about this, we'll talk about the farming and all of that, because it's really interesting how we're dealing with uh, all of this kind of thing in the supermarket and everything else, because it's fascinating. All right, Janice. Our times are different, aren't they? All right, well, I don't know about you, but honestly, when I read Job, my heart just breaks for the man because we know the behind the scenes, we have that uh, great knowledge where Job had no idea what was going on. And as we take a look at Job chapter seven, I titled this Watcher of Men because Job here is just really complaining. He's just trying to figure all of this out and very sarcastically, he calls God the Watcher of Men men. And um, I, I, I looked, starting at verse 20, Job is now talking to God and he says, have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. 
and I want to yell out to Job and say, He is the watcher of men, Job. And you are a target, but it's not in the way that you're feeling it. You are a target of God. We are a target of God in his heart. We are a target of his heart, of his mercy, of his love, and of his forgiveness. And Job couldn't have known that in this moment. But as you and I begin to go through this chapter and we listen to the discussions of his friends that come to help him, to mourn, to comfort him, as we listen to Job, as we, as we get to the end of the book and we hear God speak in response, help, we need to, to really ask God for his help to be able to hear and to be able to, to recognize in ourselves things that need to be pointed out. And I'm going to be repeating myself a lot in my segments over the next few days because there's a lot of similarities that I hear in myself and of myself that I hear coming through Job's friends and even Job and some of the things that I have wrongly ascribed to God. But today, if you're feeling like you have a target on your back, that you've done so many things that God can't could never forgive you for, or he's coming after you because of that. Understand that God has made a way through his son, Jesus Christ, to bring forgiveness. We, you know, we, we live with the consequences of the, the actions that we have done. We live in a sin-filled world. But when you join your heart with God, when you ask Jesus Christ for his forgiveness, you're never alone. And God will help you through those difficult times. He will make you stronger. I can't explain how he does it. I just know that he does because he has helped me and does help me every day when I come to him and I give my life to him. So if you're just getting into the Bible for the first time, good for you. It is not one wasted minute, not one wasted second. It's the bread of life. It's the living water. And so join us if you're able, and we will help each other to learn from God's precious word. This is our 32nd year through the Bible, and I've got to tell you, every year for each one of us, it gets more and more exciting. You'd say, how, how could it? It's a, it's a book. It's a living word. And God somehow, some way points out these wonderful truths to us every single year. Today, as we pray, we say, Lord, I praise your name. You have given me your amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, remember that we are on YouTube and Facebook and Bible Discovery TV. We love to pray for you. We're live Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 to 4.30. We'd love to see you. Make time to join us. That's Eastern Time.